this And I don't really know what attractiveness is mm, And I wouldn't really call myself an activist But hey, must admit, this is something like this Welcome to Dame. <laughs> I'm Carrie. I'm Tracy. And this is Adam. Welcome back. Adam is now a permanent part of our Dame crew. Audience clap. Yay. I, sh- I shamed, <laughs> shamed them into it. <laughs> no. I don't get invited to many things. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. But Adam, remember last time when we recorded? Why do you have this look on your face? You look like you're about I'm... to ask me to marry you. <laughs> He's taken, Carrie. He's taken. You are taken. As are you. I am taken. taken. Yeah. Yeah. He's taken. Um, No, remember last time when we did the episode on Sally Ride, Mm -hmm. and you talked about frozen ice cream being developed in space. Yeah. And I was like, I frozen ice cream. I thought that was just developed, you know, here on Earth. (laughs) It was developed here on Earth. They didn't go up to outer space and like find a bunch of frozen ice cream floating around in the ether. you actually met freeze-dried ice oh, cream. Oh, yes, yes. So I got you a little something Oh, there. thank you. Oh, You're wow. welcome. Nice. Freeze-dried <laughs> ice cream. Where did you find that? At Michael's. Oh, nice. Michael's oh, my gosh. not only sells hobbies thank and you. crafts, astronaut, but astronaut, astronaut food. Freeze-dried mm-hmm. ice cream. Yes, wow, everybody. Awesome. Uh, Adam has some a Neapolitan ice cream sandwich. Uh, how appropriate um, with the moon landing anniversary coming up. I and, know. I mean, this, uh, this is, this you know, when you do break into that, you know, let make sure Tracy and I are here to share it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. All right. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you very delicious. much. That was nice. <laughs> it wasn't really meant to be nice. It was meant to kind of give you a hard time. Give, give, well, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so our topic this time is the battle of the sexes. Yay. It's, what is it, Adam? It was a tennis match, a competitive match between Bobby Riggs and Billie Jean King. It was kind of funny because when you sent this over to me, I was like, oh, this is kind of campy a little bit. But it wasn't that campy at at the time. Everyone took it really seriously. I thought it was just kind of like a stunt. You know, they were brought in on like... You know, it was like a, a prize fight set up where they came out and, and uh, you yeah, know. Yeah, don't give it away. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> I'm just going to shut up But it, now. Was, it was very serious at the time. And mm-hmm. it coincides, which we didn't know because we picked this topic before the World Cup games, but it coincides with the Women's World Cup Championship. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know that. Well, just talk You watched it more than any of yeah. us did. Yeah, yeah. You were very much into it. I very much yeah, so. it coincides with uh, kind of the renewed interest in yeah. equal pay for female athletes. Mm-hmm. And Billie Jean King has been pretty vocal about things that are going on with equal pay with uh, Serena Williams and things like that. So she's kind of in, back in the spotlight yeah. now. Yes. And so it's all full circle. She, uh-huh. she, so she it's kind has of cool. commented mm-hmm. on their, their wins. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Oh, USA. Yeah, uh, cheers. Yay, girls. They were awesome. They were. Anyway, but like usual, we're not going to start with the actual event or key players. We're going to give you a picture of the culture. Yes. At the time. So, Tracy. Some things that were going on at the time. When did this happen and what was going on then? Well, so the actual game was in 1973. We're in the late 60s, early 70s. Kind of the gender roles were, well, especially more in the 60s, were a lot of the typical traditional roles of women and men and when more men women were homemakers 
and men were more in the workforce. But through the 60s, there were some deep cultural changes that were altering women's role in society. And more than ever, they were entering the workforce. But it still was a time when women could not even get a credit card without a men's signature. Seriously? Yes. I didn't realize that either either until I read that. I was like, wow. And I'm glad I was born two years later. That made a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I'm amazed at the fact that, yeah, just, I, I, yeah, we were born right Right around that time. Tracy and I and Adam just. A few years later. A few years later. Yeah. Yeah. But on TV, Leave it to Beaver. Father knows best. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, popular family family shows, popular. Okay. and I can remember watching Leave It to Beaver. And uh-huh. I mean, obviously, the woman's role there is to get the kids to school on mm-hmm. time and make sure dinner is ready and have that smile on your face all the time. And hee haw. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I don't know if that was traditional gender role per se. I, I mean, like women in the kitchen, but it's certainly objectifying towards oh, women. Oh, percent. I mean, those. They were always wearing like bikini, yeah, yeah, that was really farm low. tops. That's but... so offensive. <laughs> What's offensive? <laughs> anyway, yeah. So we had kind of along that around that time, we had the first working women role models on TV in a show called Julia, which I don't know, and the Mary Tyler Moore Show. So things were changing. It was a big time for women's movement. And that is right when the women's rights movement was was going on and was really taking off. The women's rights movements were challenging sexism, fighting for free access to abortion, legal access or free legal access to abortion, and overcoming just oppression. And they made just significant strides in the 70s. And a really notable thing that happened in 1973, the same year this tennis match was is um, Roe v. Wade was passed by the Supreme Court, <gasps> or decided by the Supreme Court. I'm like clairvoyant. I was just about to ask you that question. <laughs> well, there you go. I didn't even see your notes. Wow. Yeah. That's nice. what that happened. I was just like, when yeah. did Roe so v. Wade same happen? Year. So okay. just a lot going on. Yeah. Long ways to go. <laughs> and even though there were a lot of failures, women just were beginning to feel success in business and politics and education science, law, the proportion of women in state legislatures tripled. From women, one to three? Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah it's point, not, but... yeah, not a ton, but yeah. opportunities were growing for women in that time. Fortunately, the divorce rate is increasing, which left a lot of women as sole breadwinners and supporting a family, so a lot, of, a lot were you know, forced into poverty around that time, too, so... Just kind of a lot, a lot going on, but things were changing as far as gender roles. Well, and you know, the gender roles. That, that there's definitely a lot going on, but sports was sports. I mean, it, it was when you picture your grandfather cursing at the TV with a Schlitz in his hand. I mean, that was the culture of sports back then. People. I don't know if my grandfather did that. But. <laughs> I, guarantee, I guarantee you, he did. But uh, yours did. Uh, well, I remember when my grandfather. I used to watch Viking games when we used to go up to Minnesota with my grandfather. He'd have one sock on. He'd have a cigar in his mouth and, a, and an open Schlitz. Just one cursing. sock on. One sock. I don't know. He just couldn't be bothered. Maybe it was good luck. That was going like to say superstitious it has thing. to be superstitious. Yeah, yeah. but but <laughs> we, we look. I mean, think of how set back women's sports is today. I mean, how they're still fighting for equal pay. Right. How I mean, the WNBA. I mean, 
love the fact that there's a, there's a pro league for women in basketball, but no one really follows it. And that's today, right? Mm-hmm. I think the the women's soccer team and the women's hockey team are probably the two biggest things that the whole nation identifies with. Back then, possibly women go- golf. Yeah, as yeah, well. very very yeah. fair. But back then it was very. I mean, think of the Steelers back in the run. That the NFL, you know, the leagues just merged. You were watching football. You were watching baseball. Boxing was a lot more popular back then than it is now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not like there was ESPN 1 through 8 where you can right. watch everything. Right. I mean, families yeah, would watch things. college football on Saturdays. Mm-hmm. They would watch you know, NFL on Sundays. People followed tennis, but it was not It was kind of a, a country club sport, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't a, an every man's type of sport. Was that just in the U.S.? Or um, was that... No, no. And, and, Wimbledon, <clears throat> I mean, was yeah. that different in Yeah, Europe? I mean, uh, dirt, so... I think because of the popular. of the traditional Wimbledon and the French Open and, and things like that, and just the, the cultural nuances you have in Britain with you know the tradition there, I think it's it's more of an every every person sport there. But in the U.S., the sports fans were a lot more blue collar, right? And they identified more with the the football and the hockey and mm-hmm. you know and, and basketball and things like that. It wasn't very conducive to a, a breakout time for women. And so women's tennis game was looked very, we'll get to this, I guess, but mm-hmm. was looked down on, you know, just that, uh, that they weren't as good, just kind of a JV tennis league. So as Adam was saying, up until the 70s, women were definitely neglected in major sports. They were, most sports <laughs> they were neglected. Of- in major sports. <laughs> <laughs> They're just neglected. Yeah. <laughs> and neglected. Yeah. Um, so it's sports true. were definitely thought of as men's activities. Due to the significant gender gap in collegiate athletics in the 70s, it became a target of early reforms. In 1972, President Nixon signed Title IX of the Educational Amendment of 1972 which provided everybody with equal access to any program or activity that receives federal financial assistance, including sports. So what that means is that any federally funded institutions, like any university, public schools, they're legally required to provide girls and boys with equitable sports opportunities and funding. So I'm not, this I could, could be another podcast about Title IX, so I'm just, it's going to be brief. It might be side note. Yeah. Tracy, the attorney. Well. Side notes. (laughs) (laughs) Title IX. Yeah, Title IX. No, of all the people amongst the three of us who should go over this stuff. Well, I'm just going to make it very brief because we have a lot. She's about to get into the torch. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Very brief. No, I really, no, it's it's true. (laughs) Like really brief. I'm not going to get into all of this. Yeah, it is. But what I'm going to say is that I think there was a lot of pushback with it. A lot of schools did not want to comply. Congress gave schools six years to comply and established a three-pronged compliance test, which I'm not going to go into the test. But a lot of women's organizations had to really come together and lobby to get compliance with this. So it was a lot of effort on their part to get Title IX passed or complied with. The year before Title IX was enacted, there were about 310,000 girls and women in America playing high school and college sports. Today, there are more than 3,373,000. So yeah, it had a huge impact. There's a Fun little quote from Billie Jean King about Title IX. 
Because of Title IX, we now have many more women participating in sports. We also have a balance in the number of men and women who are doctors and lawyers in this country. Title IX is working, but we also have to remain committed to protecting the legislation. Slowly but surely, we are working to change the hearts and minds of people to match the legislation of Title IX. One of the most important advances is how fathers are now demanding the same opportunities for their daughters as they do for their sons. That was a quote from her, from Billie Jean King. Right. I think that's very accurate. Yes, yeah, I think 100% it's very accurate. Yeah. Yes, I liked that. Title IX was passed June 23rd, 1972. I think both genders should have their dreams, period. That's it. So that's Title IX. See, mm -hmm. told you. <laughs> very mm -hmm. brief, but very important. Uh, some of the firsts in for female players and just what was happening around the time the very first intercollegiate women's basketball tournament was played in 1966. 1967, Catherine Switzer was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon as a numbered entry. Wait, <clears throat> wait a second. So that was the first time they could actually register for a race as a and get a bid number. Mm -hmm. Well, women didn't <gasps> run before then. Yeah. Well, no. Only to chase the running. children yeah, around the exactly. yard, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. With smiles They're on their way faces. Way more yesterday <laughs> than their dresses. But they were really in shape from all that. But yeah. Oh, that's, that is amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yes. 1971, the Association for Intercollegiate Athletics for Women was formed, giving women the opportunity to compete in national championships. Not until 1971. So this is kind of fun, too, since we were just talking about women's basketball. Also in 1971, the first five-player full-court game and 30-second shot clock was introduced to women's basketball. <laughs> Isn't that what crazy? were they doing before I'm that? Not, I don't really know. It was probably short. No, just they altered, played, altered they rules. Played, oh, yeah, okay. it was just different rules, right? Just okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. They didn't okay. play half court with three players. No, I'm kidding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Ten players. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. And then, of course, 1972 Title IX was passed. The uh, also back in 1971, the Amateur Athletic Union ruled that certain women could take part in marathons provided that they either started their race 10 minutes before or after the men or on a different starting line. That was dropped in 1972. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And yeah, then in 1972, yeah. Nina Cusick became the first woman to officially win the Boston Marathon. Wow. So just that's Nina. kind of where we were yeah. at the time. And then It's amazing. Like, it's like Stone Age. It, I mean, yes. I mean it, it, was, it wasn't that long ago. No. No. Yeah. Well, just just barely before I was born. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah. starting, I and mean, I was... Tracy was born and, and everything changed. And everything yeah. was nice. like... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> I, I played... Well, you grew up in the South. They, they still don't let women play sports in the South. They do, too. <laughs> but I did play softball when I was in elementary school. And, I'm, and I ran track in elementary school. I'm really curious why women play softball and men don't. It's oh, a it's heavier ball. Fast? What is what is that about? We don't have the eye hand coordination for a fast yeah, for a ball. Really no, fast I mean it's it's, de it's definitely a sexist thing. I mean, I I, I don't know. Still, I don't know if it's sexist, I mean, but women I mean, like, still play softball, but men don't. Well, I, I think really that once, once you get a certain amount of momentum, and the leagues are, I mean, people just it's a different game. It's fun to watch. Yes. I mean, you notice how they wear those masks because uh -huh. they're standing so close to the batter. I mean, right. you're you just get whaled with that ball. So uh -huh. I don't know. For all of our three Twitter followers, no. Mm. 
That's a hint that we need more Twitter followers. If you know why that is, let us know. That'd be really fun. Just fun fact. I'm sure we could Google it, but I'd rather other people tell me. So. <laughs> <laughs> get some more Twitter followers. Good delegation. Thanks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. Oh, that so is that's, too funny. That is amazing. Honestly, I was, I mean, girls, when they're up until, I'd say, middle school, can often be faster in track mm-hmm. than the boys. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I don't know, I, I don't know why that is either. I was. Maybe our development. I used to be the boys in races. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adam, but do you have thoughts on that? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you coach Adam. You coach your daughter's soccer team. Yeah. What? What are I don't. You... I don't coach the boys though. So. Right, but what are the girls' attitudes towards sports? The the girls at his age, in elementary. My school. daughter is 11, and they're starting to get that competitive edge, like where where they're shoving. The, girls down and stuff like that but they they've they're they're definitely more team oriented i'm not sure if that's what you're getting at no more more i'm wondering do they ever say oh we can't do that we're girls no absolutely not even no 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 no. yeah yeah our generation for shifting that for them yeah no they they, i mean even to girl scouts they're like the boy scouts are doing this why why aren't we doing it you know okay. so i mean there's there, but that, that's all in the parenting our kids just went to camp and one of Addie's friends is doing gun cleaning i think that's awesome you know so mm-hmm. i think and we're in a pretty progressive area so maybe that's not the case everywhere but true yeah did you get that growing up though did you can't do something or play a sport no or? no not from my family i think culture at large, I started to think I'm not as strong. I, I Around middle school, I thought, well, yeah, there's no way I could be as fast as a boy is or hmm. as strong as a boy is. Mm-hmm. I, I never, never as smart. Like, I think by then enough it shifted that. I, that message wasn't at least overt. Mm-hmm. And if it was covert, I wasn't picking up on it. So, yeah. What about you? Yeah, no. Yeah. I am. Um, all I can remember is I was in a track meet, I think in middle school. My grandmother would said made a comment that like track wasn't wasn't appropriate for ladies. <laughs> what did you? <laughs> not I'm not much, a lady, no, Not to me, yeah. Or if she did, I, yeah. I I'm sure I just ignored her, but um, I'm not a lady, grandma. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm still not a lady. No, okay. <laughs> right. But um, but other than that, like I never, I just kind of blew that off and was like, oh, well, that's that's sad for you, but <laughs> yeah. But I'm gonna go run. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't get that. I didn't get any of that. Okay. Okay. So specifically focusing on tennis around that time, just a little little brief history of tennis. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why our podcast is an hour and a half long. <laughs> I thought this was interesting. Two things. Whenever Tracy says, whenever she does a head bob thing and says just a little, I know we're in for like a, a like a, an oration. Yeah. Okay, I'm going, it's going to be one sentence there, Adam. Okay. Okay. There was a caveman playing with a rock. (laughs) (laughs) The first Wimbledon championships were at the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club in 1877. Period. Done. 
There's my history. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, now I want more than that. All right. You're not getting it. I'm, I'm done with that. I'm moving on. <laughs> so, in the late the, the late 1960s, tennis's popularity really took off. Before then, not so much. Not very popular. As a, as at least as a participant and spectator sport because the major championships were opened to professionals and amateurs. So we had a lot more interest. And then in the 70s, television began broadcasting professional tournament circuits. And then there's, there were some notable players and some you know big rivalries going on. And so that got more interest as well. So that really propelled the sport forward, as well as tennis fashion. <laughs> London. Who's for tennis in the 70s? The Teddy Tinling on-court collection at the start of the decade indicates that tennis will be a sport very much worth watching in the years ahead. Not so much perhaps entirely for the game's sake. Tinling, as ever, stresses femininity. The materials cover a wide range of man-made fibers, which, as they say, are made by man with woman very much in mind. Lace-up tunics can provide the hot tennis player with any degree of ventilation. There's also a fair amount of air circulation available in this outfit. The jumpsuit with its flared trousers is for what they call in the trade apres tennis, when day is done and the fun's begun. <laughs> Women in tennis, before 1968, was a complete amateur sport. Women's tennis was dismissed as a frilly sideshow to men's tennis, and they weren't awarded any prize money. But they kept pushing the International Tennis Federation, the ITF, for women's tennis to go pro. And in 1968, they became, women's tennis became professional, and they were awarded prize money. That same year, Billie Jean King won the Wimbledon. She won $750. The male winner, Ron Laver, got $2,000. Yeah. Okay. But they got prize money, so that was a victory. Well, and then you want to talk about breaking through tradition. I mean, the the British. I mean, that's getting into Wimbledon is a big deal. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Do we know when the first female played in in a Wimbledon match? I don't know. Twitter listeners? Let me, let me consult, <laughs> let me consult <laughs> the Adam actually yeah. will consult for us. Ladies singles started in 1884. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, I'll take some credit to those 19th century Oh, 1884, people. is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The first champion was Maud Watson. Oh, I love that name. Maud. What a great name. Oh, my God. It's a good name for a dog. Situ- it is a good dog name. My next dog's going to be named Maud. <laughs> Mod. <laughs> Sit. There's a lot. Sit. Of, there's Lottie Dodd, who was a champion 1818. Eight, Guys, I'm not. I can't make this up. Lottie I'm not, Dodd. I'm not this. Okay, you don't That's believe really me. Look, be the name of my this is Lottie Dodd. Dodd right here. Oh my gosh. And then they? Blanche Hilliard. Was Dodd her last name? Last name. Oh, La- Lottie. Yeah. Dodd. That's horrible. Though. And then That's just did me. she play Mod? <laughs> In the sod. In the clod. <laughs> dresses they had to plan. Ah, oh, yeah, that, oh. that's amazing. Okay, just for full the listeners, full, full, 
to ankle length dresses. Yes, with the big petticoats. Right. And it looks like a corset. That's how they were playing wow. tennis. Okay. Wow. Not easy. Way to go, Lottie. That's off yeah, to them, Lottie, Lottie Dodd. 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 She was 15 years old, Lottie Dodd was, when she won. Were they all British? I don't. I don't. Were they Americans? Were they British? Um, the they first, were... well, America. Yeah, we won the first one in 1905. America. America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. 1905. And then the all French, right. then the French ran away with it for a while. Oh, gosh. Then... I didn't even consider them. I was like, were they British or American? Because in yeah. Carrie's world, there's only two countries, <laughs> the United States no, and Britain. No, there are many, many, many countries. Jeez. We are a global world. We are a... We're a global world. <laughs> Interconnected. <laughs> Ice cream is made on Earth. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Deep thoughts. Okay. Okay, so the top players, top women players at the time were... Besides Lottie. Besides, <laughs> besides a little Lottie Dodd. Um, yeah. Probably Lottie Dodd's first cousin, Maria Bueno from Brazil. <laughs> Very similar. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, she was the U.S. champion four times and the Wimbledon champion three times between 1959 and 66. Well, good for her. And then okay. Margaret Court, who we will talk about oh, later. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was the second woman to win this Grand Slam in 1970. And she set the all-time record for singles, doubles, mixed doubles titles in the four major championships. Just to be clear, she was she was Australian, right? Yes. Did she, I not say that? N- no. I probably missed that. She, yeah. is, she is Australian, yes. She's <clears throat> the, is she alive still? I think so. Okay. As far as I Adam. Know. Maria Bueno. No. <laughs> We've moved on. To oh, yeah. She's still alive, I think. She's still alive? Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Mark Record. Okay. Um, Lottie Da. Okay. <laughs> I wonder if we got that term from her. Did she? That's what I'm wondering. Meander around the court. <laughs> I wonder. She was really good, but isn't that what Lottie Da means? Like you kind of just Lottie, Lottie Da. Uh, da. Well, right. Yeah. Sounds like your parents did all that. Must have done that on purpose. I agree. Poor thing. I know. Okay. But maybe it's the other way around. Because <laughs> she was so amazing. Right. So anyway, she, Court, Margaret Court, won three Wimbledon, six U.S., five French, and 11 Australian singles. And then our main key player, Billie Jean Moffat King, set a record of career Wimbledon titles, winning six singles, ten doubles, and four mixed between 1961 in 1979. Tracy just just looked me right in the face and mic dropped. You see she (laughs) threw her notes down like and like the you know take that. Take that out. That's what Billie Jean did. And that was a brief history. Right. So if you were no more teasing. So now what am I your son? No more teasing. (laughs) (laughs) No. No. (sighs) Or you'll go to your room. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now we're going to get into our key players. <laughs> because really, I mean, we paint, I think we've painted a good picture. <clears throat> yes, very brief. Of, of what? Yes, very brief. Mm-hmm. Corsets Yet. and tennis balls. Lottie Dodd. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. The fact that we don't know why women play softball and men don't. And we've covered it all. We have. Yeah. Now uh, let's get to our key There's pa- nothing left that we could have covered. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> nothing yeah. at all. Yeah. We were so thorough. So I think, though, that we have set the scene for what's happening with men and women's gender roles with sports at that time 
and women's sports in tennis in particular. Here we are about to talk about the battle of the sexes and there are two key players for this episode, the two competitors, the people who played each other in the battle of the sexes. And I'm gonna talk first about Bobby Riggs. So he was obviously the male and then we have Billie Jean King. <laughs> the female. <laughs> no, so I'll let that much. out too. Yeah, no. <laughs> so anyway. At least we got their names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's funny? Researching this, you look at Bobby Riggs. Like, he looks like that guy where it, you go into a dive bar, and if he's, he's the guy who's there every day, and he's got, like, and he's just sitting there not talking to anybody, and you just leave because he's there. That's how creepy he looks. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah. I was going to say uh-huh. you sit, like, you make sure there's a seat in between yeah. you. But just right. leaving totally yeah. works. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, the, the two movie adaptations of this event, the actors actually look better. Oh, 100%. I think than he did. Well, so. only Yoda looks worse than this guy. <laughs> I mean, any actor is going to be better. No, he wasn't that bad. I and mean, when he was younger, you see pictures of him, and he was a handsome yes. guy. Yes, when he was younger, it was better, for sure. But during the Battle of the Sexes yes. match, he, yeah, lacked. I mean, what's our standard? Is, 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 is attractive back then just that you don't have a massive head wound, and then you're attractive? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that our standard? What? This guy was you awful. You have all of your appendages. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Wow, you have all your ears. Let's go out. All of them. <laughs> you have all three ears. Yay. Anyway, if I saw this guy in a dark alley, I'd There's run something there. about his teeth. Yeah, you know, it's his it teeth. His teeth. They're like but snarly. They, yeah, they're really snarly. Is that the word? And he looked like he had about 40 more teeth than he should have had. Like, yes. he, like he had multiple rows like sharks. It like does. So when he so bit the other tennis players. When he lose one, yeah, exactly. one would come forward exactly. and it. Yeah. Now yeah, I, I think when he was younger. So now that we painted but a he was a very fine man. His, looks, <laughs> his full name was Robert Larimore. Would you say Larrymore? I say Larimore. I agree with that. I agree with that Done. too. Yeah, Robert Larimore Riggs. He he was an American tennis player, and he was a top-ranked male player in the '30s and '40s. <clears throat> He was born February 25th, 1918, in Los Angeles. He was the youngest son of a minister, and he had five siblings. I would imagine he probably had to fight for attention. All kids with big families tend to. His mother was Agnes Riggs, and his father was Gideon Wright Riggs. Those are are names I'm not sure are going to get recycled. Do you know how we recycle names? Gideon? Gideon and Agnes. I'm thinking Agnes for sure is not going to be. We're not going to see a lot of little Agneses running around preschool. Anyway, he began taking tennis lessons at age 12. He was noticed and coached by Esther Bartosh, who was a third-ranking woman player in Los Angeles back in this time. Yeah, in the 30s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was coached by a female. Mm -hmm tennis player. At 18, he was already ranked fourth in U.S. men's ranking. He helped the U.S. team win the Davis Cup in 1938. And then at age 21, which was 1939, he was ranked number one, the number one amateur player in the world. 
he got that after he reached his first Grand Slam final at the French Open that same year. And then he went on to basically sweep Wimbledon. He won the men's singles, doubles, and mixed doubles tournaments. So, I mean, he was good. Yeah. He played mixed doubles? Really so good. Definitely yeah. good. Mm-hmm. At one point, he played in a tennis tournament with Billie Jean King against uh, Martina Navratilova and Elton John. Oh, what? Really? Yeah. Oh, my god! It was like some celebrity fun. tournament. Yeah. So, still in 1939, he won the U.S. National uh, Championships, which is now known as the U.S. Open. Two years later, in 1941, he turned professional. He won U.S. doubles titles in 1942 and 1947. Why there's this five-year gap is because he went off, was in the Navy during World War II, and he was a Navy specialist. I don't know what that would be. Do you know a Navy specialist? specialist I mean, that can be a bunch of different things. I mean, you're focused on recovering anything from the ocean or wild beasts or you You would help with the wild beasts (laughs) that's what he did there you go and it really helped him hone his tennis game i think being a navy (laughs) specialist yes well he was a cornerstone member of the 1945 league champion 14th naval district navy yard (sighs) wow well, it is, Let me it, say that again. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't just that it got in his uh, in, in the way of him playing. Wimbledon didn't play during all World War Two. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah. I mean, were there any really big sports games still occurring? Was baseball even still going? Well, at that well you're time? their own. I mean, the the, oh, the, the, men, sure. the men were off playing, and, right. and the women oh, that's played. That's a good yeah. point. That is yeah. good. Well, let me say this again. Okay, so he was... <laughs> That's really cool, Adam. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me take a deep breath here. A cornerstone member of the 1945 league champion, 14th Naval District Navy Yard tennis team. During his Navy career, he did continue to play tennis. And then he returned immediately to tennis when, he, when the war was over. And he won the U.S. singles titles in 1946, 1947, and 1949. When I was reading up on him, it described him as not very tall, quote, end quote, which was 5'7", which I say that with a little bit of irritation only because... (laughs) You're 5'7"? Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) 5'3". I'm shorter even than that, but my poor little son... Our pediatrician told us the last time we were in for a well-child visit, I mean, granted, he's three. I don't know how you predict this, but she said he's going to be short. He's going to be 5'7", apparently. He'll be Bobby Riggs size. His height. Send him away. Yep. (laughs) Hopefully his teeth will grow normally. He won't won't have short teeth. So it really wasn't his size that helped him win. It was his speed and shrewd strategy. He would work his opponent out of position and then score points with drop shots and lobs and punishing ground strokes that would let him kind of come to the net for these put-away shots. It is so obvious to me that you watch a ton of tennis. <laughs> I, Adam, stop it. <laughs> I punishing was ground in strokes. tennis camp when I was. I was in tennis camp for a whole summer once when I was in middle school. Yeah. Were your ground strokes punishing? They were punishing. Everything was punishing. Punishing, yeah. (laughs) So so are the looks I can give. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> if anyone could see me right now. That is really funny. So Jack Kramer, one of Rick's competitors, said that Riggs could keep the ball in play and he could find ways to control the bigger, more powerful opponent. He could pin you back by hitting long down the lines and then he'd run you ragged with chips and drop shots. He was outstanding with a volley from either side and he could lob as well as any man. He could, not woman, just, just side note, he could also lob. Except Adam. Except for Adam. <laughs> Lob on the run, he could disguise it, and he could hit winning overheads. Regardless of what happens with the rest of your career, you need to be a sports commentator. (laughs) You have missed your calling. Apparently, I have. Yeah. (laughs) They weren't powerful, but they were always on target. So anyway, he wasn't always powerful. He wasn't always fast. That no, he wasn't always huge and powerful. (laughs) He was fast and shrewd. So, anyway, he quit professional tennis in 1951, although he later played in senior events. He had this larger-than-life personality. He had a fondness for pranks. He was known for being candid. He was married to two different women, but he was married three times. Three? No. No. (laughs) That's a whole (laughs) nother... Podcast. We're not going to do that right now. <laughs> he was married to two different women, but he was married three times. Can you guess what, how that would work? Uh, yeah, not, yeah. not optimally. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I mean. He was married to one woman once and another woman two times. So he married Catherine K. Fisher in December of 1939, and they had two sons together. They divorced in early 1950s. Sometime before September 1952, because that's when he married his second wife, Priscilla Whalen. They divorced in 1971, you know, right before this Battle of the Sexes match. They remarried in 1991. Hmm. They had three sons and a daughter, and Priscilla came from a wealthy family that owned the American Photography Association. Actually, when Riggs's professional tennis career was waning, he worked at the American Photography Association in the 50s. He was inducted into the International Tennis Hall of Fame in 1967. We've alluded a tiny bit to this. One thing to note about him is he was known as being a hustler and a gambler. Hey, Birdman, how are you? You want to play me a little backgammon later? Sure. I'll give you a chance to win that 3500 back. Sure. You want to play me a set? I can play a set, kid. I'll play you a set. What do you want to play for? 500, so we're just like an easy for a hundred. Exercise, kid, I don't need. Mrs. Campbell Kennedy, so nice to meet you, Jim. Were you rooting for the women's live group? What's your best game? We're going to pitch horseshoes or play Jim? What's what's your best game? I don't discuss it. Okay, we'll do it later. Okay, that'll be fun. Any game you want to come up with is fine. Briggs, nothing to sell. We're playing don't, tennis. Don't this morning. You're playing me for 500 I'll play later. For 500. 500, that's the standard bet. Because you missed me in New York that time when you and uh, that. Uh, yeah, I know. Me and that. Newcomb. That John Newcomb. He's just yeah, a fair player. Boy, he's going to play me and anybody I want. Get out of court. Okay, they're God. waiting for you. Don't you duck Take me now this afternoon now. I don't, don't run and hide. What's this all about? 
all of the running, all of the chasing, all of the betting, all of the playing. What's it all about? Well, do you do it for money, Bobby? No, I do it for fun. The sport is the thing to do. Well, how do, you I... do you know what Hustler is? Because I looked it up. <laughs> I, want to, I want to hear your explanation. No, you tell me first. What's a Hustler? No, I mean, Adam. like, it, he getting money any way he possibly could. But he, he had ties to the mob, apparently. Yeah. And, and now we do online gambling. We do, we have bookmakers back in the 70s, if you were quote unquote fortunate enough to have a tie to organized crime, you had a contact who was a bookmaker and you could, and the local mob, and, and basically it was just on your word. And if you didn't cough up the money, they'd break something, you know? So it was. It doesn't sound fortunate. Well, that's why I did Quote. that. Air quotes. You made air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds scary. Yeah. I think his gambling. <clears throat> Kind of hustling ways was part of his first divorce from Priscilla Whalen. It, it played That's a not role. Surprising from what I was reading and what they show us in the movies, which you know are real, right? <laughs> They're course, always exactly accurate. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's what a hustler means from <laughs> yourdictionary.com. <laughs> it is a person who is aggressively hardworking who knows how to get around problems. Or a person who makes money by doing something dishonest. <laughs> a person who will stop at nothing to get what he wants is also an example of a hustler. A person who pretends to be bad at something, let's say like a game of pool, to get people to bet on him in a game. And then they make money from that. And I do mm -hmm. believe that Ricks would do things like that. A person, or a streetwalker prostitute who tries to entice people to... This is so sexist. A streetwalker prostitute who tries to entice people to sleep with her. They assume it's a her. It is a her. For money. Always. As an example of a hustler. They never prostitute. Man. <laughs> I just noticed that. That disappoints me, yourdictionary.com. Okay. Then in 1973, he returned to the spotlight by challenging these leading women tennis professionals to play him in a match. And Tracy's going to go, Adam and Tracy are going to go into the two times he did that. So at the time of the Battle of the Sexes match, theories about Riggs ta tanking the match for gambling purposes abounded. And, and I'm not going to talk more about that because you guys are. So the publicity generated by the Battle of the Sexes did earn Riggs more fame and financial opportunities than he had ever received as a champion player. He landed a cushy job as the resident tennis pro of a Los Angeles, or sorry, not Los Angeles, but a Las Vegas hotel. And he went on to enjoy success on the men's senior tour. Despite the seemingly contentious nature of their rivalry, King and Riggs became good friends. Unfortunately, he died of prostate cancer on October 25th, 1995. Apparently right before he died, Billie Jean talked to Bobby Riggs and they express their their fondness and love toward one another, Aww. according to Billie Jean. Yeah, tears. Yes. So that's Bobby Riggs. So I, I'm picturing this guy being just this megalomaniac. Like, how can I? I mean, he he seems like kind of a showman. So he's trash talking women in general, not just tennis players. First, he he tried to get Billie Jean King to to bite for it, and she wouldn't do it. There was another woman I didn't had never heard of. Margaret. Do you know why she wouldn't do it? I don't. Yeah, yeah I don't. I mean, it, she, 
it may have just been she may have just seen it for what it was right. I think yeah you know? that's probably it, right just that yeah. he's a massive troll and I don't want to give him a mm-hmm. uh, give him a, a, a stage right mm-hmm. have you ever heard of Margaret Court before no no I no. either do you know what she was a badass she really was yeah so she she was she was good so it's not like it, it it's kind of it kind of comes across in the story as like oh billy jean wouldn't do it so let's go get margaret court Mar- margaret court had seven years of being a number one player mm-hmm. uh, the number one ranked player okay so she was a big deal like, did you see the oj simpson interview where he thought that she was gonna mop the floor with him oh it was, it was hysterical no yeah. what was then, this? then you realize that oj simpson killed his wife and now that's not funny that's not funny <laughs> <laughs> So this was back when this was he, back when it happened, yeah. Back so, when the battle oh back ah, when she was the number one yeah, player. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before all the controversy over him. Oh, because she was so tough as a tennis player. Yeah, and he very, was yeah. And he was old, yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget exactly what he said, but he okay. said something like he's really old, he better watch out. But so the the one that, that happened with Billie Jean King was at it was at the Astrodome, right? This was at kinda like a, a country club. It was televised, wasn't as much fanfare as the next one. But it was on Mother's Day. Just being the ass that he was, he made a point of, uh, you know, bringing out flowers and giving her flowers for Mother's Day. Oh, my gosh. And she, of course, curtsied and said thank you. He did really good. I think she just looked across, looked like, you know, rattled. But destroyed her. You know, basically it was not even a match, really. And he jumped over the net and hugged her and stuff like that. And he vaulted into the national spotlight. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, interviews, the whole nine yards, and he realized his brand, the male tennis troll, mm-hmm. you know? And so. <laughs> That's exactly what he thought. Yeah. I think I, he used that exact term. But yes, here he benefited from this, and I'm mm-hmm. just sitting here thinking about what that meant for women's mm-hmm. equality and women's. Yeah. Just what, what that meant for how in sports and, and, and to tennis look at women. And, yeah, it had to be dejecting. This is the number one. This is the, this is the yeah. number one uh, female player, and here's a 55 year old guy who looks like a shark. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and, and and he beat the number one player. Yeah, so it was. So I think at that point, Billie Jean King is like, okay, I've had enough of this guy. Yeah. Okay. So, so. going to show him who's boss. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did you say what they called this? You did. Yes, it was uh, the Mother's Day Massacre. Yeah. And evidently he trained considerably hard for this oh, match, yeah. too. Oh, like, he did. Okay. Yeah, yeah he like trained a lot harder for this one than he did for the second one. Running every day and weights. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. well he, had, he, he allowed people to come pay to watch him train. Watch him you know, hit tennis balls at, at like he'd set up <clears throat> seats and uh, you know cushions and stuff oh like that. My he really gosh. was a master of making money. Like this guy was that seems to be a. Can you imagine how weird, uh, weird would that be? You go in there and it's just you and him like looking at, looking at you right. like oh weird. And he's like he's just with a tennis racket hitting chairs and how long would you hang out in that situation? <laughs> I don't know because yeah. back then I wouldn't have had a cell phone to like bury my head in for just a. You'd have to just sit there and stare at them. I wonder how many people actually nothing, showed up. Yeah. Nothing to yeah, be a barrier. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So Billie Jean King enters the scene. Okay. So Billie Jean, we're going to back up. It's not my her. lover. <laughs> it's not my lover. <laughs> She's just a girl. <laughs> oh, no. The next verse is mine. I can't think of it. And Some say something. I'm what? not the one. Some sing say. It. Sing it. <laughs> You end up singing a little bit.
Billie Jean Moffat on November 22nd, 1943 in Long Beach, California, to Bill, whose full name was Willard. A fi- that's another name. And that's I was going not to say that one. Yeah. That one, I'm right there with not you. Not coming back, coming unless right it's, to... you know, unless it's like a family name and they plan to call him Will. Will? Yeah. yeah. And he was a firefighter and Betty, a homemaker, who also at one point was a receptionist at a medical office. Uh, they were conservative, a Methodist family. She had one sibling, a brother, Randy, who was five years younger. The Moffats were an athletic family, so Bill earned a tryout for the NBA team before becoming a firefighter, which is pretty cool. And Betty was an accomplished swimmer. Her brother Randy pitched for 11 years for several major league baseball teams. Wow. Which I, yeah, I didn't athletic know that. family. Yes. The, he was with the San Francisco Giants, Houston Astros, and Toronto Blue Jays. Wow. Billie Jean actually did well in baseball and softball before she started to play tennis. She played shortstop at the age of 10, and she played with girls who were like 14 and 15 years old. Wow. So very good. At fire department picnics, her father's co-workers always wanted Billie Jean to play on their softball team. Yeah, that, I guess that's when men play softball when it's related to their business teams. So she switched to tennis at the age of 11 because her parents thought it was a more ladylike sport and because she had talked with her father about tennis and she, she actually thought she could excel at it. And she had even told her mother, I'm going to be the number one tennis player in the world, which is hmm, pretty cool, so. When my brother was 10, he announced he wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. By the time I was 11, I knew what I was going to do with my life. I wanted to be the number one tennis player in the world. My parents just went, you got to be kidding. Are you serious? We got two? She first started to play tennis at a country club, but then she'd go to all the free public courts in Long Beach. And she would take advantage of the free lessons by a tennis pro named Clyde Walker, who offered uh, lessons at those courts. She bought her first tennis racket when she started playing and saved up, and it was $8. She did realize soon into playing that the standards for women, young women, were different than those for young men. An example of that is when she was playing a tournament in Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Tennis Club. This was in 1955. She was barred from a group picture of junior tennis players because she had worn tennis shorts that her mother had made her. Instead of a skirt? Instead of a skirt. Oh my goodness. Yes. That goes right along with our Bloomer podcast. Exactly. (laughs) And she took that, she did take that as an injustice and she used it to fuel, yeah, to fuel kind of her focus and her goals to be even better at tennis and for future social advocacy. When she was 14 years old, she won her first championship in a Southern California tournament. It's not mentioned a lot, but it did lead her to receiving kind of coaching offers from all these well-known players. Starting in 1959, at 15, she did begin to work with Frank Brennan and Alice Marble. And Alice was a famous tennis player from the 1930s who had won 18 Grand Slam titles herself. Billie Jean actually made her Grand Slam debut in 1959 at the age of 15, but she lost in the first round. 
she just kept playing. I mean, there's so much on her in her tennis career that this this could take hours, really, I think, to go over her. But she was playing in local, regional, international tennis championships. Sports Illustrated had already claimed her as one of the most promising youngsters on the West Coast wow. for tennis. And she won her first tournament in Philadelphia in 1960. It was the Philadelphia District Grass Court Championships. She tried the U.S. Championships again the next year, and she lost in the third round. Her national tennis ranking had improved from number 19 in 1959 to number 4 in 1960. So in wow. one year, wow. she improved that significantly. That's impressive. She did go off to college in 1961, which is where she met Larry King, her future husband. While there, she did continue to compete in tennis tournaments and teach tennis. But she did eventually leave university because she wanted to focus on tennis. So here is the overall picture for King's tennis career because it is vast. So she won 39 major titles. Wow. Both yeah. singles, and, wow. I know, and doubles. It really all took off in 1961. She gained international recognition when the Long Beach Tennis Patrons Century Club and Harold Guyver raised $2,000 to send her to Wimbledon. So that is when she played with Sussman. She was 17, Sussman was 18. And they were the youngest team to win the Wimbledon doubles title ever at that point. Uh, she was defeated in the women's singles that year, but she went on to capture a record 20 Wimbledon titles you know, after that, in addition to U.S. singles, French singles, and Australian title. So her Wimbledon record was, uh, it, it held until two, 2003. And it was only tied. It wasn't actually beaten, but it was tied by Martina Navratilova. So, I mean, she was an amazing athlete, Truly. this woman. She was perhaps probably one of the greatest doubles players in the history of tennis, winning 27 major titles. She actually turned professional after 1968 and became the first woman athlete to win more than $100,000 in one season. I mean, I think now at professional players who are winning millions... I mean, well, they were making millions of dollars, What right? year was that? That was 1971. Okay. So in, with that calculator in your head, Adam, that would be... Hang on. I'm working <laughs> on it. That would be like 632 now. 632 in one Thousand, year? Yeah. Okay. Around this time in the 70s, now she'd have multiple knee, knee surgeries, I think leading up to Battle of the Sexes. Hmm. But there were other these other up-and-coming female tennis stars like Chris Everett... Yvonne Googlegong, which I think... Yvonne you know, <laughs> Googlegong? <laughs> Google, go, oh my god. Googlegong, Yvonne. Googlegong. Well, Yvonne uh, Colley is, I think, her married name is Colley. We'll go with that. Yeah. Like and Martina Navratilova. Do I, do I say that like you guys do? I always say Navratilova. Navratilova. Yeah. Huh? Oh. Is that how you really Navratilova. say No. No. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I've always thought of it as it's never to low fun, but it, maybe not. Okay. They were just coming onto you know the scene at that time. This kind of demonstrates King's stances on the environment of women's tennis and kind of promoting kind of LGBT rights even back then, even before she came out as bisexual. This was 1977. She requested that the Women's Tennis Association grant her a wild card entry to be the eighth player in the Virginia Slims Championships. 
Margaret Court didn't qualify for the tournament that year. Uh, but instead of giving Billie Jean the slot, they gave it to Mima Josephic. Um, does that sound right to you? No, it doesn't. <laughs> what, what, what's her name? Mima Mima. M-I-M-A. Mima Josephic. Josephic is correct. I think that sounds great, yeah. Carrie. Thanks. Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy's always my advocate. <laughs> Adam's always like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> Yasevic, I think. Yasevic? I think. Thank you, Yasevic. Oh, hang on, it should, should tell us. Mima Yasevic. Oh, we no, messed up the last name, too. We, we did, yeah, and I can't even do it. No. There we go. Mima Yasevic. <laughs> All right, now we've got that. Yeah. Thank so, you, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Adam. <laughs> so then King decided to play the Lionel Cup tournament in San Antonio, Texas, which the Women's Tennis Association was criticizing because they were allowing transgendered Renee Richards to enter. Chris Everett, Martina Navratilova, and Betty Stove criticized King's decision because this issue with Renee Richards was unresolved and controversial at this time. Should she be allowed to play against women? Would she have an advantage physically? But King played in that tournament, and she won the tournament. She basically retired from competitive tennis, because she's she ended only playing doubles tournaments really she wasn't mm-hmm. playing singles when she ended her kind of competitive career and that was in 1990 so kind of to back up when she was at the university of california she met larry king that was in 1963 they met at the library and they bonded over tears. their tears where's <laughs> the, the library music? i know <laughs> they were both grabbing the same book at the same time right yeah <laughs> Their eyes locked. It was their shared passion for tennis that brought them together. I don't know if people know this, but Larry played for the CSU's men's tennis team. Hmm. And they were apparently very good, the team and Larry. And they were engaged the next year, 1964, and married in 1965. And Billie Jean actually credits Larry for introducing her to feminism and for pushing her to pursue her tennis as a career. She said she was totally in love with Larry when they when they first got married. And why I bring that up is because it was just about three years later that she began an intimate relationship with her secretary, Marilyn Barnett. King was realized she was also attracted to women. Marilyn had first been a hairdresser and then Billie Jean's personal assistant. And did you guys see the 2017 movie? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. The movie really focuses a lot on their relationship, actually. Mm -hmm. During this relationship with Barnett... In the movie, wasn't uh she her hairdresser? Yes. And in real life, she was her secretary? Yes. In real life, Barnett had been a hairdresser. I don't know if she had been Billie Jean's hairdresser. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's true or not, but she did become her personal assistant and traveled with her everywhere. Mm -hmm. And even kind of secretly started to stay in her hotel room when Larry would be staying down the hall, not realizing it to give kind of Billie Jean her, mm-hmm. you know, her sleep and her privacy to get ready for a tournament. Billie Jean remained married to Larry, and Larry apparently didn't know about this relationship. During this time that this was all happening with Marilyn, Billie Jean and Larry conceived this idea of forming a professional tennis tour for women which would be named the World Team Tennis. 
Billie Jean did eventually, I mean, this relationship ended in the late 70s. I think it was like 1979, this relationship with Marilyn. She was dating Marilyn through the Battle of the Sexes. She was secretly having a relationship with Marilyn during that time. It didn't really become public knowledge until May of 1981 because Barnett filed a palimony suit. Tracy, you you probably know what a palimony suit is. Of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do that all the time. No, I have no idea. No, you don't? No. Oh, okay. I don't. It's not Tracy's area. It's not. Uh, it's apparently. Not my expertise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is the Division of financial, financial Assets and Real Property on the Termination of a Personal Live-In Relationship. Uh, where parties are not legally married. So think pal mm. and alimony. Palimony. Got it. <laughs> so clever, those legal terms. Things kind of came to a head after their breakup when Billie Jean King and Larry King had asked Marilyn to move out of a Malibu beach home that she had convinced them to buy. And they, I think they had wanted to sell it. And I think also, I don't know, this isn't anywhere, but my guess is you know, Marilyn was kind of interfering in Billie Jean's life. I think she wanted. Well, yeah, she was wanted to get there with her. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> yeah. this was after their breakup. I think oh. Billie Jean was like, "I need to get this woman out of my life wow. now." So they had requested that Barnett leave, and she added this to her list of reasons to sue King for palimony. So Billie Jean denies that Marilyn's assertion that the affair continued. You know, after this, Marilyn did stay in their home in Malibu. She set up housekeeping and continued to enjoy a luxurious life in part with the king's credit cards. But she was far from a trouble tree house, a trouble free house guest. Tro- <laughs> Sorry, trouble tree. Yeah. <laughs> in the last two years of living there, before she was asked to leave, she had been rushed to the hospital at least three times for apparent drug abuse. In 1980, she jumped 25 feet off the deck of the house in Malibu onto the beach in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. Yeah. The first times had left her uninjured, but the last one in 1980 had, uh, she ended up with a fractured spine. So she was disabled the rest of her life from that. So that palimony suit failed in court as there were kind of legal constraints when it came to LGBT affairs at the time. But the entire scandal you know, just really damaged Billie Jean's tennis career for a while and cost her millions in losses through sponsor cutting ties and matches she didn't play. I think people now, you know, in more recent years, have wondered why Billie Jean didn't come out as bisexual back then. But she's talked about that. She said that she felt so ashamed that she and her family apparently were very, her family of origin, they were pretty conservative, and she knew that they wouldn't be able to handle that information well. So she didn't discuss it with Larry, any of her family. At that time, you know, kind of put it into context, you know, the American Psychiatric Association listed homosexuality as a psychiatric disorder. Mm. And this was up until 1973. So people thought of it as an, you know, something really bad. Something was very wrong with you. She had just gone through an abortion. The same year she met Barnett, and she'd had the abortion because it was going having a baby was going to interfere with her tennis career and she was at her height. And it was Larry who shared that with media. He shared it with Miss Magazine. 
without Billie Jean's permission. So she, there had been a lot of stress in her personal life mm-hmm. around that time. But Billie Jean and Larry remained married to each other until 1987. Wow. Yeah, when Billie Jean fell in love with her doubles partner, Ilana Kloss. Billie Jean and Larry got divorced, but they remained on good terms. And Billie Jean and Alana are actually godparents to Larry's son or daughter, his child, from his marriage after Billie Jean. Billie Jean's still with Ilana Kloss to this day. They are still together. That is her personal life. But let's talk about Battle of the Sexes. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. So, the, sexes. the Battle of the Sexes, as we've talked about, Bobby Riggs was a top men's player, 55 years old, self-described hustler and male chauvinist. <laughs> he claimed the women's game was so inferior to the men's game that even someone as old as he could beat the current top female players, which he did with Margaret Court. And after he beat Court, Billy Jean, who had previously rejected challenges from Riggs, realized that she had to play him and accepted his challenge to disprove his assertions. The lead-up is actually kind of the most fun part of this. And I'm going to start with King. So she spent the summer before this. this the match was actually on September 20th of 1973. She spent the summer establishing herself as a progressive force in women's tennis. She organized a June meeting that led to the creation of the Women's Tennis Association, and she threatened to boycott the 1973 U.S. Open if male and female champions were not paid the same. Yay, Billie Jean! Yes, <laughs> which led to the Open becoming the first major tennis tournament to offer equal, equal prize money. King continued playing on the women's circuit before the match with Bobby Riggs and captured her fifth Wimbledon title. On the other hand, <laughs> Bobby Riggs... <laughs> Basically, in a nutshell, just did absolutely nothing and partied. <laughs> okay, so, so okay, so Mother's Day is in May. Well, it's back in the seventies, mm-hmm. even right? It's always been in May, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, from May to September. So after this Mother's Day massacre mm-hmm. to the Battle of the Sexes, mm-hmm. he did nothing. Nothing. Okay. Um, what's kind partied. of so it's kind of fun. So. ESPN did a piece and interviewed his son and a bunch of friends. Got a lot more information from that. And evidently, he moved into his friend, Steve Powers, who's some investor friend, who had a Beverly Hills estate and was known for its wild all-night parties. And he moved into the guest house with his friend Steve like eight weeks or so before the match. And just partied. Steve was saying that Bobby and I had a deal. He got to stay at my house as long as he entertained my guests. And he did that. He didn't ask much of me. Just get him laid with a wild woman in LA. And I did that. My. (laughs) With a glass of bourbon in his left hand and a glass of Coca-Cola in his right, he would take swigs from both and mix the liquids in his mouth before swallowing. And he always was puffing. Or you could just put it in a glass together. (laughs) But no. Yeah. Okay. And he was He was always puffing on a fat cigar. And his son says, I've never seen him drink as much as he was then. And his son was concerned. His son also says he noticed some, quote unquote, unsavory characters that kept showing up at the Powers house to meet privately with Bobby. And learned that they were 
associates of a Chicago mob boss slash hitman that Riggs used to play golf and cards with in Chicago. Hmm. Yes. So these meetings were happening before the match. For the first time anybody could remember, Riggs refused to practice with solid players or even exercise before the match. Not once did he use Powers' lighted tennis court to do anything but goof around for the cameras or hustle matches. Instead, he'd pay stragglers off the street for a few quick bucks. Because it sounds like this is all he did. Just Well, this is what pay. led to people thinking that this was a big... Uh, you know, he beat Margaret Court. Like the pool analogy said, so you lose the first game and then, you know... Mm-hmm. So if you throw the second... If, if he threw the second one, going into the match, he was probably a big favorite, right? So... If you he bet on if you if you bet on Billie Jean King, and if he bet his own money on Billie Jean King, he could have doubled it. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. It's you know I hate to think that that happens just for you know how good it felt for women at that time for Billie Jean to win, but mm-hmm. there are some things indicating it was very possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Millions of dollars were bet in Vegas and with bookies around the country. Most of it was on Riggs, the heavy favorite. But if you bet on King, you could more than double your money. The following is an exclusive presentation of ABC Sports. What a scene it is, almost reminiscent of college football with the celebrities present, with the big band here, with dancing cheerleaders and all of the rest. Once the match began, it simply looked as if it wasn't Riggs's night. He was very nervous. He was extremely nervous. So was I. But some of his errors were glaring. Bobby doesn't look too happy there. Some tennis veterans, including friends of Riggs, thought something wasn't right. Oh. Bobby shakes his head. You rarely will see that from Bobby Riggs. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that he could put up that kind of stink bomb in front of what the biggest viewing audience for a tennis match ever. Riggs made a slew of unforced errors. Known for his accurate service game, he missed nearly half of his first serves. Oh, that first service has been a disaster for him all night. And double faulted on key points. And the second serve. And it's been a night, I think, that was not expected by most. It is over. Let's watch Bobby Riggs. Immediately after, if you were a tennis person that knew Bobby Riggs, the first thing that comes to your mind is he threw the match. He took an ice bath after the match in his, in his room. And he said he was contemplating um, drowning himself, that it was the worst thing in the world he has ever done. This is the worst thing I've ever done. The question is, what exactly had Riggs done? Uh, you know, Adam, you were there when my parents were in town last. Mm-hmm. I stopped by for a drink. Mm-hmm. And my dad, weren't you there when my, I asked my dad, my mom and dad, if they had watched the match. And my dad said that he had. You know, who are you rooting for? He admitted Bobby Riggs. He was like, mm-hmm. Bobby Riggs was just like this larger than life. He was really likable. Mm-hmm. Larry, his son, was so sure his father was going to lose to King that he refused to accompany him to Houston for the match. He told him, you're going to embarrass yourself. And he actually bet $500 on Billie Jean King. (laughs) He may have been the only one betting on King, but his son (laughs) 
was worried. Um, So the night before the match, one of Riggs' close friends visited him in the leopard pattern Tarzan room of the Astro World Hotel. And there was a gigantic party with a bunch of women and alcohol. Bobby was in his pajamas. This is the night before the the match. Mm -hmm. So either he really was trying to throw the match or he really believed he was... It's he he was gonna just right. kill her, no matter how awful of shape he was in. Yes. Okay. The I'm public, sorry. the odds were all on Riggs. Like okay. even the sports commentators, Vegas, like mm-hmm. all the bets were on Riggs. Nobody would bet on King except for Riggs' son Larry. <laughs> so now we come to September twentieth, nineteen seventy-three, the Battle of the Sexes, the same day. Live from the Astrodome in Houston, Texas, the tennis battle of the sexes, Billy Jean King versus Bobby Riggs. The in-house attendance at the Astrodome was 30,472. 50 million people in the U.S. and an estimated 90 million people worldwide tune in to watch King versus Riggs in Astrodome. It was one of the most watched television sporting events of all time. No tennis match before or after was seen by so many. Wow, what's mm-hmm. uh, what's the typical viewing numbers for the Super Bowl? Oh, it's like a billion. A oh, billion? So we have, oh, the, yeah. we have surpassed really? the oh, yeah, yeah. nine yeah. Oh, yeah. million. But okay. I wonder what it was back then. Ah, uh, no idea. Let me see. Oh, not a billion, a hundred million. Sorry. Okay. Super Bowls are... are... So 1973 was 55 million. For a Super 55 Bowl? million. Mm-hmm. So this is 90 million worldwide. Oh, wow. 90, not 9, 90. 90. Whoa, okay. 50 million in the US, 90 worldwide. Okay. So that's wow. huge. That's huge. Yeah. I can't. I just and think if about, now 100 million watch the Super Bowl, this is 90 million in 1973 watch this. The brains. Like, Billie Jean King must be so good at getting in the zone. I mean, I, I cannot imagine the pressure. No. I was thinking of this. I you're, you're like, okay. you know, playing this match for women all over the world nice. for women's equality, and you've got that many people watching you? Man, okay. So the, the game began just in, just over the top completely. Riggs came out in a rickshaw surrounded by young, beautiful women wearing... A warm-up jacket with Sugar Daddy on it. <laughs> he was paid fifty grand to, to wear that. He was. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't. He only kept it on for three games, but. Oh, he only kept it on yeah. for the first half. Yeah. Okay. And King had her own grand entrance, wearing a blue and white sequins tennis dress, and in a decorated litter, which I know what that is because <laughs> I am carried around in them all the time. But for those of there you don't, bed or couch mounted on two with poles, usually two on each side, but in this case I think they were all around with men carrying them. So she was sort of like I don't know, a queen Cleopatra. And the men were what were they These shirtless men carrying her out. And they they delivered her to court side. Weren't they like college students from some team? Like I thought I remembered reading that somewhere. Okay. I'm anyway, a little surprised she did that. Me too. Honestly. Me like, too. But, you know. She she was prepared. To, yes. Yeah, she needed a grand entrance as well. The first set, Riggs played the first three games, like Adam just said, wearing his sugar daddy jacket. And King continually kept volleying shots past him. He seemed very out of shape. And she won oh, the first really? <laughs> yeah, set, six to four. Okay. 
from across the net, King says that Riggs looked a little bit in shock by the first set loss. She was certain that he wasn't tanking, that he wanted to win the match, that she could see it in his eyes. And she's seen players tank before, and she knows what it feels like and what it looks like. And he didn't. He was just feeling pressure. He played awful. That's what it sounds like. Like, absolutely <laughs> awful. Like, it, compared to his, his match versus Hort, it was, mm-hmm. I mean, he looked like he was getting tennis lessons that day. And he was. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Truly. He was getting served. He lost his game in the first set on a double fault, something that he rarely did. And after losing the first set, he told a friend to offer a friend of King's named Dick Dutera (laughs) a a $5,000 bet that he'd come back to win at 2-1 odds. Prior to to the match starting, he had bet the same man $10,000 that he'd beat King. Oh, so, so he had during money the, on the game. Line. Okay. He's gambling, telling a friend to bet that he's yeah. going to come back. I wasn't and even thinking King. about that. <laughs> I was thinking about the fact that, that he, just tells you yeah, a lot. About him. <laughs> I was just thinking about the fact that he was betting against King, so it does also kind of right. counter this idea right. he was on his own. He's like, I'm he going to come back and win. Game. Right. Yeah. So by attacking the net and and smashing precision shots and I'm not punishing they're punishing <laughs> shots King ran a winded out of shape rigs all over the court he made a lot of unforced errors hitting soft returns directly at King or into the net including on set point in the first set midway through the third set Riggs looked drained and complained of hand cramps and King maintained her dominance through the remainder of the match as Riggs made a series of errors and she won 6-4, 6-3, six, six, So for those who don't know tennis, like in women's tennis, you play best of three sets. And, and in, in uh, men's tennis, you play best of five. So if he would have won a set, they would have gone to four sets. And, and But she just cleaned, him, cleaned mm-hmm. his clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the win, King tossed her racket and Riggs hopped over the net and told King, I underestimated you into her ear. Riggs was well known for a flawless game, but after he missed half of his first serves four times, he double faulted on all uncritical points, and the level of play hardly lived up to all the hype and anticipation. Howard Cosell said, funny with this match, I guess we all expected some high humor involved in it. Instead, it's become a very serious, serious thing because the comedy has gone out of Bobby Riggs. When it was finally over, all the fans stormed out and engulfed King and Riggs hugged her. Big hug for her. Yeah. Big hug. So, big hug. (laughs) At a post-match news conference, Riggs saluted King's performance and said, Billie Jean was too good, too quick. I know I said a lot of things she made me eat tonight. I guess I'm the biggest bum of all time now, but I have to take it. King says that she told Riggs, win or lose, she would never play him again. Riggs quickly called for a rematch. I would have given Billie Jean a rematch if I had won, so I want a rematch. Why should there be a rematch, she said. <laughs> so the Battle of the Sexist Tennis match was more about just defeating Riggs. King felt incredible pressure to win because, as she said afterwards, I thought it would set women back 50 years if I didn't win that match. It would ruin women's tennis tour and affect all women's self-esteem. To beat a 50-year-old guy was no thrill for me. The thrill of exposing a lot of people to tennis. But yeah, I mean, the pressure to... Incredible. To Yeah, what, what was on the line for her. Mm-hmm. This is an example of 
privilege right there. The you don't have to think about it as a nail. It wasn't as big of it. It was just about winning for and me. This is the one time money. in every episode Carrie talks about privilege. <laughs> yep, <laughs> I get it in there somehow, some way. Male privilege, but she had so much she had to think about as a female. Mm-hmm. That was just wasn't just about playing tennis, but all right. that came with it right. for her. Right. And she also says. I think it wasn't just for women. It was really about both genders. Men come up to me constantly, many times with tears in their eyes, and tell me their story. Like, oh, I was 12, year old, 12 years old when I saw that match, and now I have a daughter and I have a son, and I want both of them to have equal opportunity. And one of those people was President Obama, who told her, you don't realize it, but I saw that match at 12, and now I have two daughters, and it has made a difference in how I raised them. Aww. Yeah, it brought unprecedented publicity to the women's movement and was a landmark moment in the ongoing struggle for equality of the sexes. No other sporting event has played a more significant role in developing a greater recognition for women athletes than that match. Yeah, up till maybe now. Maybe now, yeah. Yeah. See, after Battle of the Sexes, I mean, I talked about Billie Jean, her tennis career, but she has so many awards. She has just this huge legacy, and she hasn't died yet. She is still alive. So she, I'm sure she's going to continue to keep doing amazing things. Just briefly, right, Tracy? Briefly. I'm going to give a brief <laughs> description of her kind of awards and her legacy. In 1973, same year as the Battle of the Sexes, she became the first president of the Women's Players Union which was the Women's Tennis Association. Like I mentioned before, she the next year, she and her husband Larry and Jim uh, J- Jorgensen founded Women's Sports... No, I have not mentioned this, actually. They founded the Women's Sports Magazine and started the Women's Sports Foundation. Then in 1974, the World Team Tennis began, which was founded by her husband Larry King, Dennis Murphy... Frank Barman and Jordan Kaiser. Billy King was the first league commissioner in 1982 and major owner in 1984. She is a member of the Board of Honorary Trustees for the Sports Museum of America, which opened in 2008. Uh, it's, the museum is the home of the Billy Jean King International Women's Sports Center. As of 2012, she was involved in the Women's Sports Foundation and the Elton John AIDS Foundation. She's also served on the President's Council for Fitness, Sports, and Nutrition as a way to encourage young people to stay active. Remember the president, the President's Fitness? Yeah, those are, it was awful. <laughs> no, I rocked those. I got, so a, I D, I got a D in awful. gym once they because I couldn't awesome. do the freaking pommel horse. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the pommel horse. Yeah. I'm just saying, in elementary oh school, the girls tended to excel a little bit physically. Oh, I didn't do that until high school. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, we weren't doing them then. That's interesting. In 2008, King published the book Pressure is a Privilege, Lessons I've Learned from Life and the Battle of the Sexes, if you want to check that book out. On August 12, 2009, President Barack Obama awarded King the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her work advocating for the rights of women and the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender community. Yay, Obama. Isn't that what um, Tiger Woods got, too? Did he get them? Did he? Yeah, Didn't from Trump. Trump, Trump yeah. gave him the Medal of Freedom mm-hmm. for winning golf tournament. Right? 
I will just not say anything about that. In December 2013, Obama appointed King and openly gay ice hockey player Caitlin Cahal to represent the United States. Do you remember this, Adam? No. In the 2014 Winter Olympics in Russia. This was interpreted as a signal on gay rights in the context of concerns and controversies at the 2014 Winter Olympics regarding the LGBT rights in Russia which were lacking. The king had to drop out of the delegation because her mother was ill. In fact, her mother, Betty Moffat, died on the day of the opening ceremonies, which was February 7th, yeah, 2014. She attended the 75th Golden Globes Award as a guest of Emma Stone, who played her in the movie. Yeah. And King and Klaus, her partner, became minor- minority owners of the Los Angeles Dodgers baseball team. <laughs> you were kidding. Last year, not even a year ago, <laughs> in September 2018. So, I mean, she's just done so much and has been vocal recently with uh, the women's, you know, the U.S. soccer, women's soccer team winning the, oops, winning the World Cup, but... Anyway, yeah, Adam, what's going on right now with women in Well, sports? it's still, I mean, it's kind of a, a perplexing thing because, I mean, the, the, I think the women's, the, the World Cup was probably the most popular thing we've seen from a women's sports perspective. And that was really cool, I mean, to watch with, with my daughter, you know, and, yeah. and, and have, I mean, it was just such a likable team, things like that. But professional sports is still kind of a, a, a tough I mean, there there is the WNBA. There's other you know uh, other things. Women's sports are are really doing well in a national competition perspective. So like when you're watching the Olympics, you're going to see the women's events as much as the men the men's events, and people are as invested as they were, mm-hmm. uh, are as invested in both uh, women and, and men athletes you know, or male athletes. You know, there's a new newly formed women's soccer professional organization. I'll be curious to see how that takes off, but. Mm-hmm. You know, you looked at the World Cup, and and you know you can definitely tell the the countries that are putting the effort into promoting women's sports. You know, the United States, Japan, Germany, the Chilean team had to basically create their own tournament without the help of their government. You know, in in uh, Chile, in order to even qualify for the tournament. So not every hmm. culture really values yeah, that. So sure. I don't know what the end game looks like because I don't I don't ever see another women's league overtaking the NFL or anything like that, but it'd be interesting to see what it's like in 20 years. I think the women's soccer league is probably going to be, in my opinion, probably the the most popular one. Mm -hmm. But women's hockey did really well. Yes, and that's the best rivalry in sports, in my opinion, is is the women's U.S. and and Canadian hockey teams. I mean, Mm -hmm. those women hate each other. I mean, (laughs) they literally hate each other. So really, oh yeah, oh absolutely. Just on on the ice or no? They don't. They don't don't leave it on the ice. Yeah. So (laughs) too many hockey players. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 a lot of fun to watch. They did really well. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's yeah. It's bringing in large amounts of viewers. I mean, yeah. so this idea about equal pay for well, the know. women's um, soccer team actually brings in more money than the male team right. does, mm. which is yeah. So, so getting paid, you and know, that's kind of one of the the arguments against it is oh well we have you know more viewership and more money for the men's mm-hmm. team, so they should get paid more. Well, but it's this just, isn't true. It's just time. It's just time. Soccer. Totally. Yeah. Can you talk about the the lawsuits like before? the U.S. team actually won. Like, they've sued for equal pay, mm-hmm. and... You, uh, you're the, you're the lawyer. I'll let you oh, take okay. it. <laughs> oh, no, like, I don't. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't. I should, 
research it a Again, little bit not more. Tracy's but area of law. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I read a little bit it, about it. Probably yeah. not enough to talk about it. And I, of course, I don't have it written down. But the U.S. soccer team has been a huge voice in, and they sued. The the, the, the I think it's the. Uh, um, the Olympic Commission, or maybe in yeah. FIFA, yeah, FIFA, FIFA, yeah. and I, I don't Always know um, for equal pay, and the wage disparity is gigantic. Yes. I had no idea. I mean, it was—it's embarrassing. It is yes. shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew they weren't paid the same, but when I saw the numbers, and of course, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but it was shocking. It's a slap it's in the face. Fa- it really yeah. is, one hundred percent. And then been passed around social media. Yeah, and then Serena and Venus Williams mm-hmm. have been vocal advocates for equal pay uh, for women women tennis players and minorities. And yeah, we've got that in, element too. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also equal pay for yeah, yeah minorities, minority groups. Mm-hmm. Back in 2005, Venus pushed Wimbledon and the French Open to offer equal pay to male and female players. Um, and then a year and a half later, later, Wimbledon said it would offer them the same prize pay, and the French Open followed shortly after. They joined the advisory board of the Billie Jean King Leadership Initiative, which fights for inclusive leadership. And in 2017, Serena Williams broke down why the gender pay gap hits black women the hardest in an essay for Fortune. Well, I, I enjoyed researching this one. I knew nothing about it. So really, was, yeah, I, I didn't. You, you, you haven't seen the movies, movie? right? Huh? No, um, well, I watched yeah. the actual matches though. That's, that's, that's <laughs> right. right. Yeah. You, we balanced each other out. Yeah. We watched the movie versions, and you watched the matches. Yeah. Now, are you going to go watch the movie? Um, I may actually. It didn't do good on Rotten Tomatoes though. So it was good. Yeah. It I, was. I enjoyed it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll watch. I it. think this was very fun. And to Steve research. Carell's in it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Emma Stone, yeah. Yeah. great actors. Yeah, Steve yeah. Carell plays Bobby Riggs. He's really good. So, thanks everyone for joining in. Stay tuned. We're gonna have some fun music that we don't know what it'll <laughs> be, but it might Bobby. be the ballad of Bobby. Riggs. <laughs> it might be the ballad of Bobby Riggs. <laughs> we can find it. <laughs> Please uh, get on iTunes and and just rate us no matter what the rating is we just really would love your feedback please let your friends know we really like to get this podcast out to more people anything else you guys would like to add thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening thank and you and we'll, we'll t- see you next time yep any ball you can hit i can hit harder I can hit any ball harder than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. I can hit such smart lobs, you'll chase them till your heart throbs. I can hold my service till you're very nervous. I can serve a cannonball. But can you hit one back? Yes. I knew you'd say that. Any ball you can get, I can get faster. Backhand or forehand, I'm master of you. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yeah.